You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today, jam-packed show. Pacers played two games since the last podcast. Got to talk about both of them. A loss in Detroit, a loss in Washington. Similar themes from the Pacers we've seen all season. Although the first time we're kind of seeing it pop up with the newer version of the team. Terrible clutch play, terrible defense caused them to lose against two on paper inferior opponents. Despite getting pretty big games from some key guys, Brogdon had an excellent weekend. Go good with Todd's. They had a career high. We'll talk about all that. I want to talk about Tyrese Halbert more. Talk about him all the time. But I'm seeing a lot of talk about his role, his touches with Brogdon and Heald on the, on the floor. What's going on there? I have a lot of thoughts there because it's been a little interesting seeing how those three in particular share the ball. And at the end, I want to talk about Isaiah Jackson's fouls, a hot topic in Pacerland right now as he has another rough foul game and only plays eight minutes in this game that just happened against the Wizards a couple hours ago, the weekend that was, if you didn't see either game, Pacers lose twice to the lowly Detroit Pistons and the lowly, although not right now, Washington Wizards 111-106 on Friday and Detroit 133-123 just now against the Wizards. Just really gross defense. We'll talk about that first, I suppose. I mean, against the Wizards in particular, they just Washington was blown by them to get in the paint, hitting a bunch of threes. Washington's hit over 40% from three, like seven games in a row now. So they're they're kind of on fire. They've got more shooters now on their team after making some moves. But the Pacers really struggled to, to keep them off, off of the three-point line and contain those drives. The Pistons, whose offense stinks, hit half of their threes, 50%. So obviously your defense will look bad if your opposing team shoot extremely well from three, as the Pacers saw this weekend. But they struggled to contain drives this weekend worse than they have all season long, uh, or at least to the level they have all season. But worse than they have since... They've kind of shifted up their team a little bit, and their defense was absolutely atrocious this weekend, and it led to some wide-open threes for opposing teams. Now, Detroit, they were hitting some crazy shots. Kelly Linick hit a fall-away, fading-away left-wing three to make Detroit go eight for nine from deep in the first half. It was just like stuff that you don't typically see. So some of the Pacers' defense wasn't like totally atrocious, but it was really bad in that way. And, you know, some 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 interesting stuff going on with their defense. Like Isaiah Jackson keeps fouling out to the point that they can't play him as much, and you know, Jalen Smith, for all his the lovely stuff he's done for the Pacers, is a little slow at reading the game on D. Gogo Batadze is physically slow when he plays. They played a lot of Dwayne Washington this weekend because they had some injuries. You know, Lance can only play nine minutes against Detroit. Didn't play at all against the Wizards. So Dwayne's defense is kind of weak, right? In general, a lot of factors at play guiding poor defense. No Chris Duarte in either game. He would have helped. But they've got to be better on the end of the floor if they want to to improve and and kind of establish the identity that they want to see next season. That's something that I've talked about on a couple of shows and even guests have come on and talked about is like their defensive identity is just completely gone. It has been for a couple of seasons now, really. But just to see it on display against two lowly teams. And I know that for the Pacers, losses aren't the end of the world at this point in the season. But if they want to build on something, they have to know what they are. And, and being so atrocious against two lowly teams makes it really hard to evaluate what they have and what they can be. So their defense ha- just has to be better. And whether that's acquiring more talent at some point, hiring more defensive coaches or something, they, they just need to get better on that end of the floor because this weekend, every everybody struggled. I mean, even their good defenders, O'Shea Brissett had some nice defensive moments but really struggled. Isaiah Jackson had the stats that looked good on defense but it fouled a bunch like crazy, right? Like they just couldn't quite – 
put it all together on the end of the floor, and it really cost him some games. And what else caused him some games is some crunch time woes. We'll get to that in a second, but let's go bad cop, good cop, reverse style. There was some actually good stuff that happened for the Pacers this season that they'll hope can continue going forward. And first and foremost, Malcolm Brogdon. 27 points just now against the Wizards against Detroit. He had 26 for a total of 53 this weekend. What stands out to me about Brogdon recently, 36 free throw attempts his last three games. He has been killing it, driving to the basket, drawing those fouls, getting to the line to have these efficient games. He's been wonderful guiding the Pacers offense of late, which has been really helpful for them. I mean, they've had some struggles shooting the ball recently. In general, with guys in another lineup, they've been struggling to have some continuity. Buddy Heald's cooled off. You know, they've needed someone to to be that spark plug for them on offense, and it's been Malcolm Brogdon recently. Two fantastic games this weekend to follow up. His season-high 31-point performance that he had last week, he's been excellent for them. As a scorer, Tyrese Halliburton, excellent as a passer, 18 assists in his two games. He had 15 just now against Washington. Definitely his worst offensive scoring game as a pacer against Detroit on Friday with only eight points. And then I'll talk about a little bit of that game and, and what's going on there. Someone else who finally bounced back this weekend, Dwayne Washington, who's really struggling – I asked Carlisle about that before the Detroit game, and he said, I didn't know Twain Washington was struggling. If you listen to this show last week, he was shooting 29% his last 10 games prior to this weekend against Detroit on Friday. Shoots 50%. It's half his threes, 16 points. They needed all of them with Lance Ailing, with Duarte out. They needed all of them for that bench to even be kind of good. And then against the Wizards tonight, three for four from deep for 11 points. The Pacers bench was much better than their starters this weekend in terms of effectiveness and in, in beating the other team. And, you, know, you never want to talk about single game plus minus too much unless you can tell a player directly contributed to that. And Dwayne Washington was a big factor in that. And the biggest plus this weekend for the Pacers, Goga Batadze's best offensive game of his career, maybe his best in total game of his career, 20 points against Washington tonight, seven for seven from the field, three for three from deep. His shots always looked good, but it's never gone. And they all went in the first two, barely moved the net. They were absolutely perfect. Six rebounds. Plus 13, again, when he actually impacts the plus minus, I'm willing to talk about it. Rick Carlisle loves single game plus minus more than maybe most coaches do. Gogo was fantastic against the Wizards. Didn't play as much as I thought he would, but they tried to get Isaiah in there. They tried to play Jalen his minutes. So he played about half the game and still had 20 and 6. Very, very good Goga game. And as they try to figure out what he is, having more games like this will get him more minutes. And I still think he should be playing more than he is, even though he hasn't been perfectly fitting with the Pacers' new core. The Pacers need all those data points, all those evaluation points to see what he can be. So to see him have a great game like that, especially after he had some stinkers last week, was big time. He was hurt against Detroit and didn't even play. So returning from those injuries, especially after a poor game against Orlando last Wednesday, probably his worst of the season to follow that up with. His best of the season is at least encouraging for his prospectus with the current core of the team. He is under contract for next season. We'll see where that goes and things like that. But as, as the Goga Grove leader... Because I have been telling you guys that I still think he has a future in the NBA. Seeing games like this is kind of why, right? He He's shown in the G League he can shoot. He's got good defensive instincts, just a little slow. Like, I understand that. It's definitely a problem with this new team that plays fast and random and cuts because he's such a rule follower. I've talked about all this a million times, and I could do another segment on it today. But this is the kind of game that kind of gives you the promise and shows fans what, what he can be, right? He hits all his threes. He does well ducking in around the basket, hits some shots with fouls, plays good defense. A very good performance from him and one that he'll hope to build off of in their home game on Tuesday. Because after Tuesday's game, the Pacers have a really long gap off. They only played two games this week. The Big Ten tournaments for men's and women's sent them on the road this weekend. Will next week as well. So 
only one home game and then a big gap and then a couple more road games. Hopefully, you know, that that those practices and that time can help guys like that bounce back. Back to being the bad cop for the Pacers this week. Stuff that has plagued them all season that I talked about earlier, bad defense. Another thing that's plagued them all season is terrible clutch play. Absolutely atrocious. One of the worst clutch teams in the league this season. Horrible in both games, really. Against Detroit, they were up by six points against Detroit with 2.37 to go. They're playing the team with, at the time, the lowest wins in the league, and they're up six with two and a half minutes to go. Pacers lost that game by five points. Right, They got destroyed down the stretch by the Detroit Pistons in that game. It, it was just terrible. Cade hit a three. Sadiq Bay hit a three. The Pacers couldn't hit it all. Brogdon missing. Heald missing. Jalen Smith missing. Isaiah Jackson missing a free throw. Halliburton missing. Everybody missed. And the, and the Pistons, they just couldn't stop them at all. You know, everybody has talked about all season. They don't have a closer, and yeah, they don't really. The Pacers don't really have a closer. But I have been preaching their defense in the clutch is their biggest problem in those situations. And it certainly was against Detroit, who just blew the doors off of them in the final two and a half minutes. 2.37 to go. You're up six, and the Detroit Pistons only have 99 points. They finished with 111. They scored 12 points in two and a half minutes. That's atrocious. So Pacers blew that game. It was awful. They've got to learn how to close it, and, you know, Again, they're, losing is not the end of the world for them this season, but in the wins and lessons mindset, figuring out how to win some close games would certainly have a lot of value for this team. Against the Wizards, they were never ahead like they were against Detroit. In the second half, at least they had a small lead in the third quarter. In the fourth, they were always down, but they got it down to three two different times with about five minutes to go, with about two and a half minutes to go, and were unable, again, to get the stops to come back. Right, They cut it to three at, at the five-minute mark, that, then – they actually got one stop from that point before the Wizards scored again, and then the Wizards scored again, and then the Wizards scored again. Suddenly, it's a seven-point game. They get it back down to three, and then the Wizards immediately get an alley-oop to Porzingis. They only had a chance to tie it, I believe, twice down the stretch of that game. And then again, when you're down three with two and a half minutes to go, and you lose by 10, similar to the Detroit game, the final stretch, they just cannot get a stop to help them have a chance to have that game tied. They had a, a one chance against the Wizards to really make it seem like a closer game than it was. Their defense was just terrible. They can't have Isaiah out there because of his foul trouble. O'Shea Brissett's been off offensively, so it's tougher to stick him out there, even though he was in for some of those clutch situations, right? They just can't have the right groups in there, given some inconsistent play that they've had, and it really bit them in the butt. So really tough weekend for the Pacers in the win-loss column. Uh, they, they got the lessons, right? They, they found some inconsistent play that was in their favor. They found some inconsistent play that was not in their favor. Malcolm Brogdon is excellent. They'll hope that they can build off of some of those trends in a positive way going forward. Again, they only have one game in the in the weekday span of this coming week. It's really fascinating. You know, they've played the second most games in the league, I believe, to this point. They play the Cavs on the 8th, which is Tuesday, and then they don't play again until Saturday against San Antonio on the road. They have immediately a back-to-back after four days off, but you know, it's very rare to see that big of a gap between games. Really, from the 8th through the the 18th, which is an 11-day stretch. They only play four times. That's pretty unique to have that much time off. So Pacers will hope to build off of the positive stuff and forget the negative stuff in a big stretch of practices. It's very rare for a team these days. We'll see what they can do with it. Let's talk about something that everybody's talking about. Tyrese Halberton's usage with Brogdon. I talked about it after the first game they played together and the second game they played together. Now we have a little more substantial of a sample Halliburton's played over 10 games now with the Pacers, 10 exactly games with the Pacers. Buddy Heald's been with the Pacers now for 10 games. It's crazy that (laughs) how fast this stuff all comes together. We're getting a little bit more of a sample of how the usages for these guys will all break out. So let's 
talk about that. But first, a message from the good folks over at Bill Bar, who are making the best tasting protein bars ever. Tons, tons of Locked On Pacers listeners have told me on Twitter that they love them or they have a flavor that they love that they keep trying and going back to. You've got to try them. They're the best pro tasting protein bars out there. The ones you get in the store, just don't cut it. Built Bar are 100% covered in chocolate. I eat them all the time. There's a really good peanut butter brownie flavor. The cookie dough flavor is delicious. I talk about those two all the time, but there, there are so many. There's something for everybody. There's like fruit flavors. There's white chocolate cookies and cream, coconut almond. There's something for everybody. What makes them awesome besides that they're delicious and, again, 100% covered in chocolate is they're healthy, low-calorie, and high-protein. Great for replacing a candy bar, good meal substitute, good snack. Whatever you want to do, you can use it. They've got the macros for all the health right on their website, but most of them have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go try them yourself. Go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That promo code, again, LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Thank you, as always, for making Locked on Pacers your first listen every single day. For your second listen, why not go check out Locked on Wizards to hear how they beat the Pacers and how Chris Stapps Porzingis looked in his debut for Washington on Sunday. Pretty cool to see him playing against Rick Carlisle in his first game back. Hot topic. Hot topic discussed amongst the Pacers. Every time Halliburton's done media, we ask him about playing with Brogdon. We ask Brogdon about playing with Halliburton all the time. But he healed shooting a lot. The usage of those guys is discussed ad nauseum with the players, by fans, by me and other people covering the team. And I think a lot of people have the opinion that Halliburton needs the ball more and needs to be in situations where he is the guy more. And I, uh, okay. So first of all, of on the Pacers roster in general, it doesn't matter who you're talking about, Halliburton should lead them in touches, I think, every single game. Right? He's young. He's really good now. Him getting better is their key to success short and long term. He should have the ball all the time. So the there's something going on where, you know, he talks about being more aggressive, right? Tyrese Halberton knows that when he has the ball, he is sometimes looking to pass almost too much. He needs to look at the basket more, try to shoot more, try to just be a guy who can score more often. He knows that. But I think in general, that's getting lost in this is like, that's where the problem, if there is any, I'm putting air quotes around problem there kind of pops up with with Halliburton on this roster because I you know the, the the discussion is like okay Brogdon's having the ball all the time he had a huge weekend scoring and like Buddy Heald shot uh, 35 to 40 times I don't know the exact number this weekend between two games like should Halliburton be taking the shots and like it, yes and no he has the ball more so I think this is what people are not catching with Halliburton right and so in his 10 games now with the Pacers Tyrese Halliburton has uh, 97.2 touches per game with the Pacers. Uh, when Brogdon plays, it's only four games, five games now. We don't have stats for the fifth game yet, but when Brogdon plays, that number is 91 touches per game. So six less. That's not that crazy to me. That difference doesn't matter, right? That's not like taking away from his development. In fact, learning to play with Brogdon or a, a, a good guard is part of that development. So I'm actually very okay with that. It's not like his touches go that drastically down playing with Brogdon and Heald. Brogdon, since returning, has played in the first four games, 74.5 touches per game, You know, basically 15 less than Halliburton. There's this myth that like he is he's taking too many touches away, like Buddy Heald at 75.4, right? Those guys aren't touching the ball more than Brogdon, or more than Halliburton, excuse me. They're not touching the ball more than him. That's not happening. What's happening is, and Halliburton said this himself when he says, I need to be more aggressive after a couple games, is that he doesn't shoot it as much as they do, right? He doesn't finish plays as often. He's a fantastic passer, better than both of them. But he doesn't shoot it as much, right? 
field goal attempts per game since the trade deadline. So they, they, I guess the game after Atlanta. So Cleveland on 211 through this weekend. Halburn's at 13 shots per game. Only two above O'Shea Brissett, which like O'Shea's playing fine, but he should be shooting more than that. Brogdon and Heal both above 17 shots per game. That's five more each per game. That's where I'm a little more receptive to what they, they need to kind of even those numbers out. That's what I think. So Halliburton is touching the ball the most, and he should be. He's their best passer, the assist numbers. He easily has the most of anyone on the team since the trades, since whatever time you want to go, right? He has 9.5 assists per game. This is prior to uh, – actually, this does include the Orlando game. 9.5 assists per game for him since the deadline. Buddy healed 5.4, Brogdon 5, right? He's definitely the best passer, but is, he's just not shooting as much as those guys. And that's where I think people are kind of getting – confused and weaving in what he is and isn't doing so in general i got to get a little more specific in a second in general i actually think what they're doing is mostly good right halberton has the ball a lot he's able to create and kind of run the show brogdon and healed are shooting a little more than him but they're not touching the ball too much and i think that is fine i think that cosm is good but i would be trying to get halberton more shots he's playing more minutes than brogdon healed's playing a ton of minutes whatever so i think of those three guys, because those are the guys touching the ball the most by a mile on this team, what needs to happen is the touches are probably fine. Maybe a few more to Halliburton is good because they're trying to develop him. But I think they need to funnel more shots and really make Tyrese focus on you know shooting and looking at the rim a little more. Uh, and to that point, Brogdon, after this Detroit game, or excuse me, this Washington team, just said something very interesting. You know, When asked about getting to the free throw line more, I asked him this question. He said, I've been moved to the two spot. He included that in his quote. And that was very telling how he views what his role is now, that he's kind of asked to be more of a scorer and less of a creator. That might play into him shooting more, and he's been playing very efficiently since Tyrese Halliburton joined the team. He's always been kind of good, and he's got a dynamic backcourt partner. So I think it's interesting that he views that he's been moved to the two-guard and feels like he needs to be more of a scoring role, and that's fine. He's not playing poorly. It's not a bad fit. He's not, again, he's barely five touches per game. It's nothing taking away from Halliburton's touches. So I'm okay with that in a vacuum. That's all the numbers. Here's where I get a little lost is crunch time. That's when the Pacers, A, have stunk recently, and B, that is when they veer really far from Halberton having the ball. If you watch this Wizards game, there were a ton of possessions where Brogdon or Heald were creating or even kind of doing their weave thing that the Pacers do where, where one of them has the ball and the other one's involved in the action. And Halberton was the spot-up guy off the play. That happened a couple times. And that is where I get a little lost in, in how the Pacers are using these guards is Halliburton should be definitely more involved in crunch time. And this is just shots. So this is not the perfect way to describe clutch usage or anything like that. In crunch time, this is total numbers, including this Wizards game since the trade deadline. Brogdon has 12 shots in five games. Uh, Buddy Heald has 17 in, in 11 games. And Halliburton also has 17 in 11 games. So... The Buddy Halley thing is fine being even Brogdon at 12 and five games. I just think that that needs to be, again, like the other thing, more in favor of Halberd and having more touches. He leads them in assisting clutch time, and he has the most shots there. You know, I'm not like totally taking away from him, but in this game that just happened against the Wizards, Halberd shot one time in the last five minutes of the game. Buddy Heald shot five. That includes getting fouled. Brogdon was at three. You know, that needs to be more balanced towards Halberd. And maybe I'm too much recency biasing that or confirmation biasing, whatever you want to say, but they need to have him more involved in the crunch time offense. That is something I would definitely say. I think using Buddy Heald more as just like a floor spacer and, and chaotic random guy 
would be better than having him be the guy shooting 17 times in crunch time because he's a great shooter, certainly, but not a guy that when defenses are lasered in on him is going to be this awesome creator. He got blocked twice down the stretch of this Wizards game, right? Brogdon played pretty well uh, at the end of that game. So I think that 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 is where Halliburton has been kind of squeezed out of touches the most is when the game gets close and it's very late in the game that he hasn't been getting the ball as much. That is where I think the Pacers need to reflex a little bit more towards him getting the ball more often, being asked to run the offense more because they have gone a little bit more away from the ISO ball stuff. They were a little more invested in earlier in the season, especially when Karis LeVert was on the team. And that I think is a, is a decent change. You know, that they're opening up a little more turnover proneness that has actually shown up in these last couple of games. Uh, but they, they're going away from that a little bit. And since Halburn is a good offensive reader, is able to read second, third defender rotations. I don't know why I said rotation so strangely just now. I think that's a guy who should have the ball more in crunch time to be able to create for himself and for others instead of being relegated to off-ball roles. So in general, I think the narrative that two other guys, Brogdon and Heald, are you know, taking away from his development or this, this isn't an equitable ball-sharing situation, I don't think that's true. I think Halberton gets the right amount of touches. I would I, I, Obviously, him getting more is good for the Pacers' situation and, and what their future looks like it's going to be. He is certainly going to be with the Pacers. I never say certainly, but he is almost certainly going to be with the Pacers for the longest time of those three players. He's the youngest. Investing in his development long-term especially makes way more sense, right? So him having the ball more is obviously good. What they're doing right now is not bad to me, though, except for in crunch time. That is when the numbers fall apart and bear out that Tyrese Halbert needs to be more involved. That's my take on all that. I think we've seen a little too much, you know, word jump, word mumbo jumbo scramble from everybody on what's really going on. So in general, over the course of the game, I think it's going well. In fact, really, only one time, maybe it happened again in the Magic game, or excuse me, in this Wizards game, because touches were not have not been uploaded for that game on NBA.com yet. But there's only been one game that Brogdon played where he had more touches than Halliburton. That was the Detroit game. And it was only 79 to 72. And Buddy has only had more touches. Buddy Heald has played um, – excuse me, that, that was Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald and Halliburton with the Pacers. Buddy's only had more touches than Halliburton once. That was the Detroit game. And that was also the only time that Brogdon has had more touches than Halliburton. So I think they're going a little bit away from Halliburton in recent games, ironically, too, when you look at the numbers. But really, they've, they've given Hallie the reins the most – Often, I say Hallie because that's just how I type it in my notes. I shouldn't abbreviate his name. I think he's gotten the ball the right amount. Maybe a little more would be nice. But in general, I think they're doing a good job spreading that wealth. What needs to happen is, one, Halliburton needs to shoot the ball a little more and be willing to look at the rim and, and, and get points on the board. And two, in crunch time, he needs to be running the show because Brogdon has recognized, yeah, I've been moved to the two. So let's talk about one more thing today. I want to move on and pivot to Isaiah Jackson Fowles and his minutes because this has been a big problem for the Pacers in recent games and just in general for Isaiah Jackson. Let's do that. Let's also talk about, though, the great folks over at betonline.net because football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam ahead. March Madness going crazy. Indiana playing in the Big Ten Women's Championship game was awesome this weekend. It was very fun to see them in Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Pro Hoops going crazy as well. Big Ten tournaments coming up. All the tournaments are coming up for the men's. And for all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, sports podcasts, and sports news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds and information. Head over to that website today, betonline.net, or 
Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet online is where the game starts. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every single day for your second listen. Why not go check out Lockdown now? All of us hosts breaking down the latest games in action around the NBA straight from the local coverage angle. I obviously did one for Pacers Wizards tonight. Isaiah Jackson fouls. Big, 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 big problem. Per before this game, the the, way, the Pacers just played the Wizards. Isaiah Jackson played seven minutes and fifty three seconds and had four fouls. Wow, he was fouling like crazy. One of them was a little weak sauce in the third quarter. Whatever. It, it he has a lot of legitimate fouls. He's at six point six fouls per thirty six minutes. Holy moly! So he had eight minutes tonight because of this problem that he's had. And I talked about this last week, but it was kind of in passing and not a full segment thing. Mark Dagnall nailed it, the Thunder coach. We're talking about Shea Gilgis Alexander playing with five fouls. He's like, if you take a guy out because of foul trouble, you effectively fouled them out of the game. The fouls have taken them out of the game, not because they're actually fouled out, but because you took them out as the coach. And I like that thinking from Mark Dagnall. They foul out, they foul out, whatever. At least give them the minutes in the development. I love that thought. And I think that I, that needs to apply to Isaiah Jackson a little more. I think he needs to play with the fouls because, one, that teaches him to learn to play with fouls. That's going to be a thing that happens to him his whole career as a big. He needs to play more with fouls to me a little bit. If he fouls out, he fouls out. You, you know, the Pacers aren't winning that much right now anyway. What is it really killing you? What is killing you is this guy you're trying to start and really develop alongside your young core playing eight minutes this game, playing an 18-minute game against Orlando last week with four fouls. Fouling out against Orlando in the other game in under 23 minutes. He's a foul machine. Like, that is known. He fouled out of a game he played 18 minutes this season against Dallas, right? Like, that's just what he does. He had five fouls in 11 minutes against the Pelicans. He had five fouls in 18 and a half minutes against the Warriors. This is what he does, but I think he needs to play when he's got two early or four in the third or whatever and just give him the minutes to learn how to play with fouls. I think that would help a lot because – you know, he knows it's a problem. Like, I forget what game it was he talked about. It was one of the games he had zero fouls, ironically, and played a lot of minutes. I think it was the Clippers game. Yes, it was. He had 26 and 10. That was certainly it. And he talked about how it's something that he's been working on a lot in practice with the coaching staff that's been communicated to him is like, stay down, you know, no one to jump, no one to recover, close out better, don't be so jumpy, don't foul as much. And he nailed it that game. He absolutely nailed it. He knew it. He talked about it in post-game media as something – you know, we were asking, like, hey, you just had 26 and 10. What allowed you to be so effective? And he was like, I didn't foul. You know, that was part of what he thought. So he knows it's something he needs to work on and that he is working on. But currently, it's something that is preventing him from playing more. He only played eight minutes to get in this game. And I think for him, like, he's so speedy that he can recover when he's out of position pretty well. And on pick and rolls, he can get back to the big or the ball handler if he's a step away. And that's good. But sometimes because he's able to do those things, he tries to do it when he's a little out of position and that causes him to foul. And his closeouts, he's too jumpy, that causes him to foul. That's something that'll be easier to learn. But to me, if his defensive positioning was just like 5% better, his fouls would go way down. Because then those recovery fouls where he's flying across the lane or he's darting from the weak side or he's darting back after a pick and roll situation, he would foul way less because he would he would be in a better position starting before he comes back. And adding a little muscle will help too, so he doesn't you know get pushed off the ball and look weaker in those exchanges. And that'll help as his career grows. But he's got to work on the fouling, and I think defensive positioning will help a lot. And with, you know, when Dan Burke was here, that was a, this is a long time ago now, really. 
But when Dan Burke was an assistant coach with the Pacers, that is something that a lot of players talked about with him. It's like he taught me how to position and angle myself on defense better than any coach I've ever had. And I think Isaiah needs a guy like, or Dan Burke himself, really, just to be a guy to just tell him those things and help him in that way. And not that the Pacers coaching staff doesn't teach those principles now. It's just those are the kind of things that if he was a little bit better at, it would help him a lot. Like general restraint on closeouts and just – being a little bit in better positions. Now, talking about the numbers, I have a small comp. It's not great, but it's an indie guy, so it's kind of good. Right now, Isaiah Jackson, I said this earlier, per 36 minutes, 6.6 fouls per 36. That's before this Wizards gamer. He had four fouls in eight minutes. That number's way higher now than 6.6 per 36. The qualified leader in the NBA for fouls per 36 of guys who have played enough minutes to be on the leaderboards belongs to Hassan Whiteside at 5.8. So Jackson, his fouls are atrocious. Like, if he was on the league leaderboards, he'd be the worst foul culprit in the NBA. I'm not comparing him to Son Whiteside. That's just for context. Here's a guy whose name I do want to bring up in this context. And that is Indy native Jaron Jackson Jr. This was his biggest problem for forever with the Grizzlies. And he got a lot more playing time there than Jackson got here for a ton of reasons. But he was a foul machine. 5.2 per 36 as a rookie, 5.1 as a sophomore, 5.9 in his third year. Jumped way up that year. He got hurt after 11 games, so a little bit of small sample size there. Finally down this year to below 4.5. It took him forever, forever to get better at this stuff, and he has not similar skills on defense. He fouled out six times his rookie year. Jaron Jackson did his sophomore year. I keep saying rookie and sophomore, <laughs> like um, – like freshman saw, I don't know why I'm combining this. His second year, he fouled out even more than that, eight times. Excuse me, yeah, eight times, right? So it takes guys who are talented defenders and sort of rangy defenders at that position with that skill set, because Jaron Jackson Jr., wonderful blocks guy, good pick and roll defender, still a little skinny. They're not comparable players. Jaron Jackson Jr. is much better, but their defensive skill set isn't like so crazy different. And it took Jaron Jackson Jr. a while to really put it all together. And I think it could take Isaiah Jackson that long, but he's got to play to learn. Like, Jaron Jackson played way more minutes than Isaiah is, even in foul situations. Isaiah Jackson this year, 12.2 minutes per game. Jaron Jackson was over 26 his rookie year. So I think Isaiah's just got to play more. Something else about him not playing, ironically now, which is funny, is when he's out, because he's fouled out, Rick Carlisle is very frequently turning to Jalen Smith, and then Jalen Smith comes in and plays good, which makes his value higher and makes it harder for the Pacers to keep him. Like, it's like a double-edged sword. No matter who you have out there, it's hurting your development and hurting your future. It's also just taking away data collection time to see who Jackson fits well with. So, look, he's awesome on defense. He's very talented on that end of the floor. Super rangy, super jumpy. Like, he's going to be one of the best, I'll say, 25 defenders in the NBA at his peak, I'll say. I'm really high on Isaiah Jackson, if that isn't clear. But he's got to be better at defending without fouling. And he knows what he has to do to do it, or else he wouldn't have talked about it after his best game of the season. And I think the coaching staff has to be a little more willing to let him play through those situations, both so he can get better at playing in those situations and so he can just play more. So I think these are things that will help him. I think these are things that will help the Pacers be a better team in the future. And we'll see where it goes, but it's definitely his biggest downside and something that's really killing the Pacers in these recent games. Cleveland, tomorrow, Chris Manning's going to join us tomorrow to talk about the Cavs. Not necessarily too much about this specific game, but how the Cavs are making two big lineups work, something the Pacers couldn't do 
for years and years, how the Cavs are looking because the Pacers own their first round pick and just in general topics about the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Central Division should be fun. And then I have a lot of guests lined up for late this week because the Pacers have a cool gap. So you don't want to miss that. Thank you guys a ton for listening today. Hope you had a great weekend and we will see you tomorrow.